going into, or we were continuing our series called Small Things, Big Difference, where we're looking at just some kind of small things that we can do as followers of Jesus Christ that will hopefully, uh, if we do them, uh, help our faith to grow in pretty substantial ways. And last week we talked about just quality time with God, how important that is to spend quality time with God, just as it is with any other relationship in your life. If you want that relationship to grow, it's going to take some quality time to get it to grow. And so, uh, so that's, a good, that's a good one. Um, this week we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about what we've been calling around here uh, relational discipleship and, and, uh, and that concept of, uh, of, of, of discipling one another, all right? Now, before we kind of talk about what relational discipleship means, I want to kind of backtrack, and this is a graphic you've seen come up many times this year. You're going to see it come up many, many times in the future. Uh, but, but I want to I hit on this idea of let, let's define what is a disciple before we kind of delve into what is relational discipleship. So what is a disciple? And so we, we've just decided as a church the best way for us to define disciple is to look at what Jesus did. And so when Jesus called his first disciples, what he did was uh, he saw a bunch of them. They were fishermen by trade. And, uh, and he called them to say, he called, says, come follow me. And so in Matthew 4, 19, he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He sees where they are. They're fishing for fish. He says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And, uh, and so right there in that little sentence, that little, uh, um, uh, invitation that Jesus gives them are, are these three things. First of all, that a disciple is someone who's following Jesus, following Jesus. Are you, so you ask yourself, am I following Jesus? Uh, am I just kind of a fan of Jesus? Am I just kind of showing up to church because it seems like the right thing to do? Uh, and I just want to keep my husband or wife off my back or, you know, whatever. Or am I actually following Jesus? And uh, the second thing that you'll see there is he says, I will make you. In other words, the change is going to take place. So not only is a disciple someone who's following Jesus, but a disciple is someone who's being changed by Jesus. So you ask yourself that question too. Uh, am, am I submitting myself to God? Am I submitting myself to his word in such a way that it's beginning to change me? Like there, I can know there are tangible differences between who I was and who I am now. And then he says, I'll make you fishers of men. In other words, I'm going to give you a purpose or a mission for your life. So you're, you're, you're following Jesus. You're being changed by Jesus. You're on mission for Jesus. You're living your life on mission for Jesus. You realize there's a greater purpose to life and faith and the universe than just yourself, that God has created you for, the, for a very specific purpose, gifted you for a very specific reason so that you can serve a very specific role in his kingdom, and you're going to live on mission to fulfill that role. And so disciples are following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, living on mission for Jesus. Now, one of our core value statements, we've got about 10 core value statements uh, that we've latched onto here at the church, and uh, they, write, they kind of go through a, a loop at the beginning of the service uh, some Sundays. But uh, one, of our, one of our biggest ones is this one, and it's this, that we believe that the most effective way to make disciples is in personal relationships. And what we mean when we say that is this, we don't believe discipleship is just simply a class. that You graduate and you're like, I'm a disciple. I took the class, you know, that, that, that's, not, that's not what discipleship is. Discipleship happens through personal relationships with people, with people, discipling people. It's people. So, so, so there's this kind of concept that not only did Jesus look at a bunch of guys and say, come follow me, you have the Apostle Paul 
and, and as kind of the church got rolling and the church was beginning to spread all across that, that area of the world, you have the Apostle Paul telling the people that were in his churches to, you know, if you, if you want to know what this whole life looks like, look at me and do what I do. And so he, he's actually looking at other people going, now for a lot of us, that's really uncomfortable to say, like, I don't know if anybody should be following me. Like, that might turn out really, really bad, right? It's like the blind leading the stupid. And so, so it, it's, it's really, it makes us cringe when we think about saying, telling someone else, come follow me. But that's kind of inherent in this idea of making disciples. Now, we do it not because we think we're so amazing and people should follow us. We do it because we're doing the best we can to follow Jesus. And so... Come look what that looks like. I call it, in my life, I call it the victorious limp. It's, 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 not, it's, not, it's, it's not something where I get to parade around through the street and go, look how great I am. Instead, it's me kind of staggering through my faith, trying to do the best I can, and going, come stagger with me, right? Come, come, come do this thing with me. You're going to see me mess up. You're going to see what it looks like when a disciple of Jesus Christ messes up and how we, how we mess up together, and you know, all that kind of... We're, we're, we're going to do that, and we're going to have great days, and we're going to have days where we gotta, we got to get right with Jesus at the end of the day or whatever. You know I mean? We're going to have those kind of days. But I'm going to do the best I can to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like. It's probably going to look pretty similar in your life. So it's not... I don't stand on my own authority if I say, some, if I say to somebody, you know, hey, watch what I'm doing. I don't say that on my own authority. I say it because of God who lives in me, Right? Because of God who lives in me, I do that. Now, I think what has happened is, um, and we, we've talked about this a billion times before, but when we talk about this concept of discipleship, we tend to think of it in terms of uh, super Christians. Like Christians are your entry-level Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, and then you have disciples that are like, you know, they're like uber Christians, right? And so that's, that used to mean something different. Uber's like a ride now, right? Okay, anyway, so they're, anyway, I, I don't even have a replacement for it. So they're, they're, they're you know, it's like, it's like entry level versus, versus, you know, sold out on fire, whatever, you know, um, disciples. And, and, you know, and like I've said before, the only problem with that is that that's, you know, you're not going to find that description anywhere in the Bible, that we're never called actually to be Christians. We're just simply called to be disciples. Go therefore in all the world and make disciples. That's what we're called to make. So if you're following Jesus, congratulations, you're a disciple. You're a disciple. And so, and if you're not following Jesus, then you should probably start following him before you, before you call yourself a Christian, right? That's, that's kind of the way that works. So to kind of, you know, back down off of that unreachable goal of some sort of mythical disciple, right? Um, because, because I think a lot of people, we have this idea of like some people are really great disciple makers and some people like, but that's just not me and I don't see it ever being me. It's not my personality. It's not my giftedness or whatever else. And, and we just, we, we, we kind of put it out of arm's reach like that's something for other people, other more serious, you know, Christians that don't have the baggage I have, that don't have the hangups I have or the addictions or the or the anger, or the whatever else I have, or you know, the temptations I have, that's for, that's for them. That's for people who got their life together, right? And that's just simply not. In fact, I dare you to find me one follower of God anywhere in the Bible that had his life together. Like, they're not there. They're just simply not there. They're just as screwed up, if not more screwed up, than any of us are. And so, so get, that, get that idea out of your head. And I think that 
that when it comes to us discipling people, there's a lot of ways that we can go about this. There's a lot of ways. And so what I'm going to kind of go through some, a list of, of, of kind of different ways that the Bible lays out for us that we can disciple people. And, and as I do that, I want you to find yourself somewhere on this list. Because I think you will. I think you'll, be, I think you'll go, okay, I could, I could, I, that seems like me. I can do that. And then on top of that, I want you to kind of pray a stretching prayer where you go, yeah, I, I see where I naturally fit into this list, but God, will you stretch me and help me to become even more of what I am? Because I think you see me that way, right? And so kind of pray that stretching prayer. Um, now, the problem with it, again, most of us, when we think of disciples, this is such a 20th century, 21st century problem. But most of us, when we think of disciples, we think of, or discipling, I should say, discipling someone, we think of somebody who has come to faith in Christ and wants to get closer to Christ now, wants to grow their faith, and they need some help doing that, and so we kind of partner along with them. And again, that's such a small part of discipleship. That is a part of it, but it's such a small part of it. That discipleship is something way bigger. And, and I was thinking about this this week, thinking I think one of the things that has got us off track in this concept of discipling is a certain terminology that has kind of gotten in the way. And, and t- speaking of kind of small things, big difference, sometimes one of the smallest things that you can do in your life to make a big difference is to change up the way you think about things, to change up your terminology and the way you define things and that sort of thing. And so let me give you an example of that. I think that the that one of the words that has gotten in our way, and it's not a bad word, it's just gotten in the way of discipleship, is the word, it's a very churchy word, and you've probably heard it, you probably, as soon as I say it, you're probably going to have some adverse reaction to it, um, but it's the word evangelism. Evangelism. Now, there's nothing wrong with evangelism. Evangelism is basically telling people about Jesus, trying to get people to embrace faith in, in Jesus Christ, right? The problem with evangelism is that when we hear the word evangelism, we tend to think about what? Evangelists, uh, crazy preachers on TV, uh, whatever, right? We, we tend to think, there, there was a, I went to a, a, a Bible college, a Christian college, and uh, one of the teams that our school would play, their mascot was the evangelists, and it was the lamest mascot ever. It was literally a guy in a suit with a Bible down here and a hand up here, that was their uh, that was their mascot, and and uh, I, it, there were so many ways we could make fun of that. But anyway, it was it was we we do we kind of have this um, this re- weird reaction to that term evangelism or evangelists because well because of you know TV personalities that have gotten caught in shady deals and things like that, and and uh, you know there's no shortage of news stories about you know television evangelists and and so we don't a lot of us we don't want to have much connection to that word but there's nothing wrong with that word the word evangelism or evangelist actually comes from the greek word euangelion everybody say euangelion euangelion it actually kind of when you see it spelled out in greek it actually kind of looks like the word evangelist but euangelion is a, a word that just simply means to tell someone good news Tell someone good news. That's all that that means. And so the concept of evangelism is just simply telling people about Jesus. It's not a, it's not a weird deal. It's not a sketchy thing. It's, not any, it's just a word that has kind of had some baggage piled up on it over the years. And we kind of go, I don't know if I want to be known as an evangelist necessarily. But the problem with that is that 
when, when we begin to share the good news of Jesus Christ, that's actually part of discipleship. That's actually part of discipleship is telling, you know, if you're going you're gonna to lead someone closer to Christ, you first have to introduce them to the man, right? And so it's all part of discipleship. And so if it makes you feel better about the word evangelism, again, nothing wrong with the word itself, but if it makes you feel better, just begin to think of that phase as a, as a part of discipleship itself. Now, now, some of discipleship happens on that front end where you're telling people about Jesus. You're make, trying to make an introduction between them and Jesus. Some of discipleship happens on the back end where you have a person who's given their life to Christ and you want to help them grow in their faith or grow in their knowledge of you know, God or, or whatever else. And so, But they're both discipleship. Both of those things are discipleship. And again... It's not best done in a class. It's best done in relationship with one another. Now, we offer a couple classes around here, um, but those are just tools to help you grow. That's not the end journey. There's no big diploma at the end of it or anything else. And so what I want to do is kind of go through a handful of scriptures and just look at the way different people discipled in scripture. So first off, in John chapter 4, starting with verse 28. Let me take a All right, John chapter 4. This is the story, you've probably heard it before, of when Jesus encounters what we've referred to as the woman at the well. Jesus needing a drink of water. He uh, encounters this woman who's at a, a water well and uh, begins to speak with her. The problem is it wasn't really kosher uh, back then for men to just, you know, strange men to talk to strange women. That just didn't really happen back then. And if it did, there was probably something shady going on. And... Um, on top of this, they were in this country, this area of, of, of that area of the world called Samaria. And Samaria were kind of the, um, um, I'll just be blunt, they were kind of the bastard sons of Israel, right? They, they were just not that well looked upon. They were, um, you know, they, in fact, they were looked down upon and, and because they were considered kind of like half-breeds. And it was just a really racist mess, the way that most of the Jews looked at the Samaritans. And so he encounters this Samaritan woman at the well, and he begins to talk with her. He begins to, you know, uh, ask her for water, and she kind of gives him some sass back. And, and, uh, and then, you know, he, he, he ends up telling her, you know, hey, I, I can actually give you water that will never run out. And he's, she's like, oh, I'm sure you can, or whatever, you know. And, and, uh, and then he begins to tell her things about herself that there's no way anyone else could know. Things about her personal life and her some of her romantic entanglements and things like that, and and she's caught off guard and she tries to change the subject and talk about you know worship and theology and stuff like that. And he's no no let's get back back to you let's get back to you. And so through this conversation he has with this woman at the well, she be, she comes to believe that maybe Jesus is the Messiah that all of Israel has been waiting for. This promised. Redeemer, this this rescuer that would come and deliver them, and so this is what she does. It says in, in, in verse twenty eight there of John chapter four. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to people, "Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Or that's another word for the Messiah? Could this possibly be our rescuer?" And they they went out of the town and then were coming to him. And so. Here's this woman, so in just the early, just seedling phases of her faith, she, her first step is to go, as a disciple maker, to go, 
come with me and see this. In other words, she went to her friends and the people she knew, and she invited them to come see Jesus. In our world, it's like going to people and going, dude, I, you know, since I've started going to this church, my life has changed and, you know, whatever. And, and I don't know, things are just different. And I think you would really like my church. You should come to church with me. It's that inviting thing. And, and you, you work in opportunities to talk about Jesus too, but it's just a simple invitation. And, and that's such a simple way. I, I, hear, I hear some of you from some of you sometimes that are so anxious about inviting someone to church, like you just don't know how to bring it up or whatever. And I always tell every, it's, I give the same story every single time because it's so easy and it's so true. It's Monday morning, every single Monday morning at work. What are you talking about? What'd you do over the weekend? What'd you do over the weekend? It's so easy to go, oh my gosh, I was in church yesterday. It was amazing. This 50-year-old guy got up and rocked the house and just, just awesome, right? And, and I mean, you can just, you can just, you can just it, it's so easy to just kind of brag on that a little bit and, and man, you, you should come with me sometime. I think you'd love it, right? That's an easy, easy way. It just kind of comes up naturally in the course of conversation every single Monday, every single Monday. And so how can, you know, if, 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 if discipleship kind of scares you, Man, that's, that's, that's the easiest way to get your feet wet is just go, I can, I can invite. I can say, come and see. I can say, come and see all day long. Maybe I'm not comfortable sharing the stories yet. Maybe I'm scared of the questions, whatever. But I can say, come and see. This woman did not have a theology degree, right? She didn't have that. She didn't know Jesus. She didn't know him, much of anything about him. She just know, okay, there's something different about this guy. Come and see. That's it. That's something most all of us can do. Now, look at this story. In John chapter 9, John chapter 9, now this is a story about a man who was born blind, and, uh, and Jesus heals him. He heals him, so now he can see in everything. And the, the, one of the problems with this whole story was that uh, I, I believe Jesus did this on the Sabbath, and the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were like, they were trying to catch him and get him in trouble, get him arrested, kind of discredit him, whatever they could do to get the, keep the people from following him. And, uh, and so they were trying to catch him doing something wrong. And when they found out, find out that he did what they considered some sort of work on the Sabbath, they were like, that, now we got him, now we got him. And so they find this guy that Jesus had healed, that had given back his sight, and, uh, and they're, they're questioning him. You've got to give us all the details and everything else. And, uh, and so, you know, one of the times they go to this man, uh, blind, the, the formerly blind man, it says this in chapter 24 of, of uh, John 9. He says, So for the second time they, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And so what they're trying to say is they're like, like Quit trying to say Jesus healed you. Give your glory to God. Jesus isn't God. Give glory to God, right? We know that this guy is a sinner. And so this is the guy's response, right? He says this. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I, I don't know. He says, But one thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. Such an amazing thing. And the wizard, what's amazing about that is, again, this is a guy who didn't have a theology degree, didn't know all the, he had, you know, maybe he, he wasn't quite aware of, of all the theology behind the Messiah and why Jesus need to, needed to come or what even it was all about or anything else. And so not having all that information or answers to questions, he's like, I don't know. I don't know anything about whether he's a sinner or not. He says, this is this, but this is what I know. I was once this way. Now I'm this way. And it's such another simple way for us to begin to disciple. Like you don't, maybe you don't know the answers. 
Maybe you feel like your biblical knowledge is incomplete or you're scared, again, scared of the questions that might come up or whatever. One of the easiest and, by the way, I think most powerful ways you can disciple someone into faith is to go, this is what I know. And my life was like this, and then I met Jesus, and now it's like this. It's so simple. It's so beautiful. You don't have to know all the answers. All you have to know is you. All you have to know is you to be able to go, yeah, man, I was whatever, whatever your story is. I was struggling. I was struggling to find meaning. I was struggling with whatever, temptations and addiction, whatever it was you were struggling with. Maybe it wasn't anything so, uh, you know, sordid as all that. Maybe it's just a simple story of, of like, I met Jesus and suddenly parts of my life that had no meaning now had meaning and, and, you know, whatever that is. I just know what he did for me. And again, super easy way because all you have to know is you. All you have to know is you. So just begin to share your own story, all right? And then when they say, well, what about this? What about the end times? And what about all the, you know, why does God do this? And you can say, I don't know why God does that, but I know this. I once was like this, and now I'm like this. That's simple. That's simple. Now, let's, let's move forward. This is another one of my favorite examples, too. This is in uh, 2 Timothy. Paul writes this letter to this young man who he had been discipling named Timothy. And it's one of the last letters that Paul writes before his death. And as he writes this letter uh, right in the beginning, he, he kind of reminisces on the process of bringing Timothy up in the faith. And he makes this statement in verse 5 of chapter 1. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Yeah, and it's such a beautiful, beautiful way to disciple. Like maybe you're, maybe you're, you're like, you know, you have anxiety about talking to people that you don't know well or whatever else. That's, that's perfectly fine. But what about the people that are living right in your house? What about the people? Wouldn't it be a shame if you got to the end of your life and had discipled hundreds of people and forgot to disciple your own kids? Wouldn't that be, I, I just can't think of anything worse. And so, Begin to disciple and bring up in the Lord and share your faith story and share your faith values with those people that are closest to you, with your spouse, with your, with your kids, with your, with your parents that maybe are outside of the faith or your best friends or whatever that might look like in your life. But, but I, I, I hope and you know, I, I can look back over my own life and my legacy and I can see you know, several generations back, how that, the faith in our family has been passed down generation to generation. It's so, I value that so much. One of my most prized possessions that sits on the shelf in my office is, is my grandfather's Bible. It is, I love that little, it's, it's not that big, it's a little Bible, but I love that book so much. It's, it's, it's all marked up. He preached out of it all the time and I can see what verses were valuable to him and by what he was underlining and the little notes that he was making. I can, I can open up the pages and still, still, like 20-some years after his death, I still smell like menthol and Rolaids in it. You know, it's just, just awesome. And, I, and I've, had, I've said this before, but like, like how much do you love the word that some 20-odd years after your death, that book still smells like you? That's... What a, I, 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 I value that legacy so much. And, and, and I look forward to leaving a similar legacy to my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids. 
And maybe you're, you look at your own life and you're like, man, I wish I would have had that legacy. I didn't have that growing up. But there's the beautiful thing, that Jesus is a game changer. He's a legacy changer. And that legacy can begin with you to where that two, three, four generations back, they're talking about you and the faith that you spread to your family. I can't imagine a more beautiful way to disciple people than just starting right in your own home, starting right where you live. That's awesome. That's awesome. Amen? Yeah. So let's look at this one. This is from Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, Paul is out starting churches left and right, and and he makes his way to Athens. And now Athens was the hotbed of kind of polytheism. I mean, they worshiped all kinds of different gods and, you know, all the, 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 the you know, the, the uh, crazy Greek uh, mythologies and stuff like that. that that's, that's where their worship was. There were temples, huge, big, beautiful temples built up everywhere all around the Roman Empire and especially in Athens where it kind of all, all that kind of first started. So he finds himself in Athens and he's wanting to reach out. And so this is what he does. He goes to this place called the Areopagus. It was kind of this, this, uh, this big, beautiful temple. And all, there was this kind of corridor that lined the, the way up to the Areopagus, and, and there were these statues to this God, and that God, and that God, and that God, and they were so afraid of missing a God that they actually made this kind of random miscellaneous statue, statue that just said, went on an inscription, to the unknown God, just in case, just to cover all our bases, right? The unknown God. And so this is what it says in Acts 17, verse 22. So Paul Standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. He's like, you guys even, even worship and sacrifice to the unknown God. He's like, guess what? I'm getting ready to make him known to you. I'm getting so this is Paul reaching out to people who are far from God, whose view of life in the universe is completely different than his own. I mean, they are the very definition of the word skeptic. And he reaches out to them and he digs into a conversation with them. And and the Bible teaches that after he finished talking, some of them scoffed, laughed, walked away. Some of them were curious and like, let's talk more. And some of them believed. And some of them believed. So man, I, I feel like this is such a perfect description of where we are in our society. Like that's, that's where we are. I mean, we, it's really easy for us to look at an old story like that and go, ah, we don't really have that. But that's, that's pretty much where we live right now. You know, when, when the church was first started, when Peter first preached that first sermon in Acts chapter 2, and so many thousands of people came to faith that day, they were all Jews. They were all people who had this common history and common storyline of the Bible and everything else. And they were right there else. They were right there. I mean, and, and, and if you go back in this country, say 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, I think that's kind of where we were back then. Everybody, even though it, you know, people were off doing whatever God knows what, everybody pretty much had a common heritage, a common story. They knew the stories of the Bible. They'd at least been to, you know, church several times with their grandparents or, you know, whatever the case may be. But most people knew those stories. A lot of people were going to church and knew those stories. That's not the case. Anymore. I mean, if, if you want to know what defines our nation today, it, it's just ignorance of the Bible. They're, they just don't know. They don't know what they don't know. They've never been taught. They've never heard. I'm still amazed to that in, in, in a so-called Christian nation, how often you can come across people that have never stepped 
foot inside of church. They just simply don't know. And so it's up to us to go, I know you think that all roads lead to heaven. Let me pick one of those roads and highlight it for you right now. Let's have some conversation around that and maybe some conversation about those other roads too and maybe a little comparing, whatever the case may be. But let's have some, what questions do you have? What are your assumptions about churches and about Christians, about God and about Jesus? What, 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 what bugs you about all that? Let's talk about it. Let, let's have a conversation. That process of going back and forth with skeptics is, is a beautiful, beautiful way to share your faith and to begin discipling someone in that way. Just disciple them into faith. And again, it doesn't happen by this kind of flash in the pan, repent, you're going to hell, whatever. It happens in the context of a relationship where you earn the privilege to begin to speak into someone's life. And that happens by showing them that you care. You show them that you care. I remember when I was in the army, there was this guy I became really good friends with and uh, he knew I was a Christian. And so he was a little bit standoffish at first. And, uh, but, but then we were like cleaning our, our rifles one day and he says, uh, uh, I asked him, you know, if, if he ever went to church or something like that. And He's like, actually, I'm a, I'm a Wiccan. He said, I did go to church when I was a kid, but now I'm a Wiccan. I was like, oh, okay. He's like, uh, you know, I don't, I mean, outside of Harry Potter, I don't know anything about that, you know? That was even before Harry Potter, actually. But anyway, I was like, I, was like, I don't know anything about that, like what you believe or anything. I was like, Would, tell me, what, what, you, what do you guys believe? He's like, oh, you don't want to hear that. I was like, no, I really do. I don't, I don't know. And uh, so for a good hour or two, I mean, light was in his eyes, and he's sharing with me about what he believes and everything else. I was like, oh, okay. And so I was like, I just listened. I asked a couple of questions here and there just to clarify things or whatever. And I'm like, man, thanks for sharing that with me because I seriously didn't know. And um, he's, like, he's like, you know what? No, no Christian has ever listened to me before. I've heard a lot from Christians, but no Christian has ever actually listened to me before. I was like, well, I, like I said, you helped me today because I didn't know anything about that. And I said, if you're ever curious about what I believe, ask me, and I'd be happy to tell you. And that's where that friendship began. That's really where it began. So I, and I think that's a lot of what people think about us when you know, we're out there trying to share our faith is that we got a lot to say, but we don't have the ears to hear anybody else. I think it's really important that we actually hear and listen to people and value them and their opinions and value them at where they are in their life and not just belittle them and make fun of them and put them down, but rather, you know, it's really easy to, to lob jokes, lob stones at somebody from a distance. So it's a whole different matter, matter to actually get in relationship with someone and work stuff out, work stuff out. And so do that. Do that. I think, I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful process. Some of you might be a little scared of that or whatever. I, I, just, I think that's how relationships are born. That's how discipleship is born. The very next chapter in Acts chapter 18, we find this story. And this is it. This is, uh, there was this guy uh, that was a really gifted preacher, really gifted preacher. His name was Apollos, okay? So that as the church is growing, different people are starting to gain some notoriety as, as good preachers or good church planners or whatever the case may be. And, uh, and this guy is getting some notoriety, and his name is Apollos. And, uh, and so, so it says this in Acts 18, starting with verse 24. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, and he was an eloquent man. Now, I, it just hit me when it says they're a, a native of Alexandria. Alexandria was the city in, in northern Egypt. 
and it was known as the Harvard of its day. I mean, it, it was where, I mean, the, the, the libraries at Alexandria were world-renowned. In fact, fire destroyed them all, and it was, it's one of the biggest, most upsetting things that's happened in all of human history. But people went to Alexandria because they, uh, they were bright and they were uh, big thinkers. They were philosophers. They were the, you know, the, so he, this guy comes from that kind of stock. And he says he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. In other words, he was really on fire for the Lord. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew of the baptism of John. So his, 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 his information is incomplete. John was the guy who came before Jesus, the prophet who came before Jesus that, that was baptizing people out in the wilderness. And, and so he knew about that baptism, but didn't, hadn't really heard much about being baptized through Jesus. So it says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila, these are two, uh, this is a Christian couple, Priscilla and Aquila, when they heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So here's this guy, he's, he's on fire, but he's young, and he, 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 they're still, his, his information's incomplete. And so here's this couple that sees that, and they see the promise in him. They see that he's, he wants to grow, and he wants to know God more. They're like, meet us for coffee, right? Meet, meet, meet us at our place, uh, or whatever, and, and let's help, we want to help you out. Because there's some things, there's some gaps in your knowledge, we want to help you out with that. And so they begin to fill in those gaps for him. They pour into him. Now, this is typically what we think of when we think of traditional discipleship, taking someone who's already you know, found Jesus and pouring into them. And it is, like I said earlier, it is an aspect of that. And we need to be doing that too. I, I like to think of it in terms like this. I need someone who's pouring into me and, and discipling me or mentoring me. And I also need to be doing that, that for someone else. I need to be constantly on the lookout for people that, that like, I can tell this person's, you know, they're like awakening spiritually and I can see something going on in their life. And so I want, I want, to, I want to bring them in and, 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 uh, and help them forward. I want to do that. So that's, that's decided. again, every one of these things that I've talked about today, it all takes place in the context of relationship. Relationship. Like when, when it, it, you know, it's, it's, there's value to this too. There's value to preaching. I, I think that's a, that's a great thing. Obviously, I think it's a great thing. I, lo- I love preaching. And there's value to learning in, in community in that kind of way. But man, there's something different. Like I, even, even myself, when I look back over my life and I think back through all the sermons I've heard over the course of you know, 45, 46, I don't remember how old I am, 45 years old. And, and all the sermons I've heard over all that time, like, there's not very many that actually stand out to me. Not very many at all. But you know what does stand out to me? The one-on-one conversations with people that I loved and cared about and that loved and cared about me and that took time out of their lives to invest in me. I can remember almost every one of those conversations. I mean, whether it was family or friends or people I went to church with or whatever, when someone, someone took the time to pour into me and help me become a better man... I remember all of that. Sermons are great for the moment. And sometimes you can look back on a particular sermon and go, that was a life changer for me. That was a game changer. But this is where, this is where the good stuff happens. It happens in relationship. Relationship. Now, let me, let, me, let me preach a little bit and make some of you uncomfortable. So this is the thing about Living Hope Church. I love Living Hope Church. It's a beautiful church. I feel like, by and large, we get it right, 
uh, we, we're focused on the right things. You know, we're a Christ-centered, Christ-focused church. We're trying to disciple people well. I, I love all that, right? If, 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 if we have one glaring weakness, I think it's this. There are too many of you that come on a regular basis. And maybe some of you who have been coming on a regular basis for years now, and you still don't really know anybody in this church. I mean, you, you recognize people, you've learned a few names, but you, you don't know anybody as a close friend in this church. Now, I'm not saying that's everybody, I'm, but I'm saying it's too many of you. Too many of you. And what I want to challenge you to do is because, here's the deal, ultimately we're not concerned with you coming week in, week out and warming a seat. What we want is for you to grow in your faith, and we know that growth happens when you're in relationships with other people in this church. And we know you can help other people grow in their faith when you're in relationships with other people in this church. If all we do is get together and sing and you know hop around and, and preach a little bit and have some kids' programs and some colors on, you know, crayons on tables or whatever. If, if, that's, if, that, if, that, if that's all we do, then I'm not even sure we can really call ourselves a church. In fact, I, I, this is my last point, is this one. Church is disciples making disciples, or it's just not church. Church is disciples making disciples, or it's just not church. Like, for us to really be the bride of Christ, the church of the living God. It's not just this place where we gather once a week. It is us as a body of believers interacting with all the other members of that body and building each other up in Christ for the betterment of our community and our world and the building of God's kingdom. That's what church is. And so this is, this is, this is what I want to encourage you to do. Like, if that's you, that person I described earlier, where it's like, yeah, I love Living Hope. I love going there. And maybe you're telling people about church or whatever else, but you haven't really taken a step to do anything other than stare at the back of somebody's head once every week. I want, I want to encourage you to, to, to take it to the next level. Because I think what you'll find is as, as you dive into, you know, a group or a service team where you're serving with other people or... Um, you know, what, whatever else, whatever other way that you can get involved here and really get to know people. I think as you do that, what you're going to find is your faith is going to be the better for it. And then the beautiful part is that someone else's faith will be better for it because you did that, which is just great, right? Relational discipleship. It's building relationships knowing you're on mission for God. Build those relationships. Do that. Now, for some of you, that, that's scary, and you're like, oh, I've got enough friends, and, and I get it. I get it, right? But this is what, I, what I've begun to do in my own life is I'm just like, I'm just trying to stretch just a little bit, just a little bit. Like, I, I've, I'm, I'm, that, you know, I, I'm that guy that I like to pull into my house, shut the garage door behind me, go inside, click on the TV, you know, hang out with my kids and my dog. I don't care about your dog or your cat or your kids. I have my own little world set up, and, and I've got all my favorite things, and it's all right there, and, and that's it. Like, I would be happy just kind of going through that routine for the rest of my life. So what I've begun to do, do for me is to just stretch myself, to go, like, I need more than this in my life. I need, I need more believers, more 
Christ followers in my life that, are, that know more about me and that I know more about, that I'm better friends with. I need that in my life because this is what I've learned over the years, and you've learned, you know it too. That when you begin to do life in isolation, it never goes well. It never goes well. Nothing good ever happens in isolation. Nothing. And so just stretch. I'm not saying, you know, go crazy. I'm just saying look at where you are right now and stretch just a little bit, just a little bit. Like what can I do to let a few more people into my life? Stretch just a little bit. You've got a few people in your life already. What can I do to let a few more in? And, and really, you know, is there anybody I see? Maybe they're living in my house. Maybe, maybe it's somebody I see at church. Maybe it's somebody at work or at school or whatever the case may be. Is there anybody I know that, that they need the good news that I've, that I've been told? So I'm going to begin to look for ways to kind of share that. It all happens in relationship. So begin those relationships. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you so much for your word today and uh, that you involve us in the building of your kingdom. Thank you so much that for the people in my own life that have um, invested in me over the years, poured into me, loved me, like genuinely loved me. They didn't see me as a, as a project or anything like that. They, they just knew that they liked Jeff and they wanted to see him become a better man. And, uh, and so they, they had great conversations with me and they encouraged me and they uh, had hard conversations with me at times. Um, shaped me, shaped me into who I am today. So thank you for placing those people in my life. And God, I want to be that for other people. So help me to kind of pay it forward. Help me to look at all the benefit I've received from other people and and be conscious about, like, I want other people to down the road to look at me that way too. And God, I pray the same prayer for everybody else in this room, and I just pray that you would help us all in that, to build more relationships that are, um, that are meaningful, that are beneficial, that are also strategic, God, that, that we actually have a plan to help someone grow closer to you. And that starts with us just making those first steps and building some friendships and seeing what happens. So help us. God, help us to reach people that are far from you. Help us to reach people that are in our own homes. Help us to reach people that already know you, but that have a hunger to get closer to you. Help us to live lives that are worthy of your calling. God, we know we'll fail in that, and we know there'll be times that we look at our day and go, actually, I hope nobody was following me today. Um, But God, thank you for loving us through all that and for always forgiving us through all of that. And you don't remove our calling from us just because we have weak days. Um, thank you for being strong when we're weak. And thank you for ultimately being the person that we're all following. Now, ultimately, I'm not pointing people to me. I'm just pointing them to you because I'm trying to follow you. So just be with us as we do this and as we really seek to make disciples and be disciples. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.